This is Birth Aloud Radio, where we challenge the status quo around that most basic human right, how, where, and with whom we are allowed to give birth. I'm your host and the founder of Birth Monopoly, Kristen Piscucci. Today on Birth Aloud Radio, we have Nikki Tilsner. Hey, Nikki. Hi. Hi. Nikki is the co-founder and lead trainer at Cornerstone Doula Trainings, which is in Oakland, San Francisco, and Portland. And she's also the co-author of Rebirth, the childbirth preparation guide for all people to have an informed, dignified, and joyful birth in any setting. And that's due to be released in the early fall. Yes. So congratulations ahead of time on that. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited. I, I just announced to my email list a new collaboration between Birth Monopoly and Cornerstone Doula Trainings, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to talk about. So I'm going to be training your doulas in legal and human rights of their clients. Oh, yeah. Yes, you yeah. are. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. funny. We've had like several long conversations about this it didn't occur to me until later that it was like, oh, isn't that funny that you're really the only training organization out there that I know of actually tacking on like a whole module to your training. And I know, I know there are other organizations that definitely do talk about patient rights, but this is the first one that I've collaborated with and I'm pretty psyched about that. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you. We are so psyched as well. I mean, it, it has been a major focus of ours for many years, this advocacy piece, but we really feel like with this collaboration and how we're doing this together and our new rights-informed birth advocate certification, we're just really bringing it to the forefront and shining a light on it in a way that, that we feel is really necessary and needed in, in the birth worker world. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about prior to starting the recording for the podcast was just how things have been changing, you know, Mm -hmm. things have changed over the last, you know, 30, 40 years, things are still changing. And you said something really interesting. You said, well, you know, maternity care isn't, hasn't really changed that much. It's, it's just getting out to the public more what, what is happening in maternity care. And I think that's, I think that's a true statement. So it's not so much that maternity care itself is changing, but the conversation around maternity care is changing. The culture around maternity care is changing. And I know that by talking about things and sharing information and being educated about them, we can actually change the culture. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's super cool. Can you talk a little bit about though, why it's so important for your doulas to be rights informed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first things first, I think it's really important to identify what it is that birth work is, you know, birth work Mm -hmm. is support. And yes, we're supporting our clients, but there's so much space and opportunity for really, really um, important work to be done within that support. And being an advocate is kind of built into this work, whether we identify it or not. And I think that when I'm sending doulas out into the world to practice, do the care and to be birth workers, I want them to be equipped to be able to step into this role and feel empowered to step into this role with actual tools and understanding of what rights are and where they can actually be really effective for their clients and helping them with their plans and helping them with their birth. 
So let's talk about advocacy, which mm-hmm. is something you just brought up. And yeah. I remember when I sort of got into the birth world like seven-ish years ago, advocacy was this really controversial term. Yeah. I think it's less controversial now, but people still haven't wrapped their heads around, I think, what it means or really agreed on a definition or even agreed that it's something that should be talked about. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about advocacy. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, you said before, which I thought was such a great point, advocacy is 75% prenatal education. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that there is a very strong misunderstanding of kind of what advocacy means through through doulas and in, in the doula community where doulas think, okay, well, if I'm calling myself an advocate, that means I'm just going to be stepping into the hospital space and making decisions for my client and and starting fights. Speaking and, for them. Yeah. And it's, it's not, that's not what it, this is about. Advocacy is really being that person as a, you know, that's a sounding board, that's a, um, an educational support, that's somebody that can be there by your side to be a witness to the experience and to, yes, speak up sometimes when things aren't going the way that our clients had hoped for or ways that our clients didn't want to. Like I was saying before, the 75% prenatal piece is advocacy shouldn't be remediation. Advocacy is about knowing your rights prior to giving birth and saying like, okay, this is, this is what I know is a possibility that could happen. This is what I know I want to happen. And let me work out exactly where I'm going to go, how I'm going to do it, who I'm going to birth with making sure I know that they're on board with my choices, making sure that I know what my choices are and really just like hashing that out prior so that birth can just happen and there aren't the big surprises. I notice a lot when I spend a lot of time with my clients prenatally educating and kind of talking about what possibilities are. We come up with plans. We come up with, you know, what if this thing were to happen? What if you felt really overwhelmed and you felt nervous and you didn't feel confident to speak up in a moment that's incredibly heated and you need to make a snap decision? How do you want that to look? Where would you like me to be? What, what role do you want me to take on for reminding you of you know, questions to ask or asking for just taking a pause and taking a moment and letting you gather your, your thoughts and just kind of like giving that space and giving that that support prenatally where our clients are like, oh, wow, I can do that? I can actually just say, wait, hold on, stop for a second. I need to talk about this. I need a moment alone. I need to gather my thoughts, give me more information. I'm sorry, I didn't actually understand what you were saying to me. Can you please repeat that in a different way? Just kind of building up in that way. Clients don't tend to need doulas to step in and speak up very much because they're equipped and they're ready and they feel empowered and they feel held, supported, seen, and like somebody's got their backs. Yeah. Well, so to like sort of refute that myth of advocacy as fighting mm-hmm. <laughs> or conflict, can you give an example or two of a time that you've advocated just to kind of like demonstrate to people like this is actually what advocacy is? Yeah. I mean, I'll start with the most common thing that happens, right? Well, let's talk about consent, for example. Clients laboring, provider comes in and says, I'm going to check your cervix now, which is not asking permission, nor is it asking for consent. And I'll just look to my client and say, are are you ready for that? You know, just simple. And 
it's about the way I'm holding myself. It's about the way that my energy is. I'm not staring down the people in the room. I'm not standing in between my client and the provider. Like I'm protecting them from the big evil doctor. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a medical provider myself. Like I'm part of that. And I, I definitely am not there to fight, but I also well, just, just like well, say, just, to, just to clarify what you mean by that, you're yeah. actually in school to be a nurse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't and want then, people to think you meant as a doula, you were being a medical no. provider. Like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That, that you have that perspective as well mm-hmm. as a medical provider. Right. I mean, I, I provide direct patient care when I'm, you know, at school and when I'm in my clinicals and when I'm not working as a doula. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's, it's us versus them at all. So I just wanted to say that, but it's, it's about, it's about the way that I am in the space, just saying little things to, you know, prick up a conversation or to remind people in the room, like we can take a minute, we can slow down here, make sure it's the right time, make sure everything's going all right. How are you feeling, client? Is this something that you're ready for? And it's received really nicely most of the time. It's like, oh yeah, you're right. Are you ready? Is it a good time? And there have been so many other times where situations pop up in the moment that weren't expected where we had already made a plan prenatally for a safe word where I'm like, hey, peanut butter. <laughs> when we say peanut butter, they're like, oh, wait, I need a minute alone to discuss this with my client, with my doula and Which my partner. you mean like if maybe like it looks like a provider's about to do something without asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if a big intervention is, is brought up or proposed and it's something that is not really on the birth plan and it's a surprise. And it's like, okay, let's make a decision right now, but it's not an emergency. We actually right. do have time to talk about it. It's like, okay, you know, this is that time where you ask for a little bit of space to think it through and ask for more information when you need it. And that's kind of that's kind of that advocacy piece is just reminding our clients and backing them up and reminding what their rights are and that they have the ch- a choice, which I think is something that a lot of people get, come into this experience of giving birth not understanding or knowing and sometimes forgetting too when there's a power differential and when things get scary and when you're already exhausted and when you're laboring and you're in a different headspace that's just kind of how it looks in the real world yeah well you use the term backing up and Mm -hmm. I you know I tend to think that that might be sort of the idea that people are a little bit uncomfortable with which is as a doula, I want to come in and be like a completely neutral party, like Mm -hmm. totally neutral. You know, I'm just here to support kind of like whatever happens as opposed to I've been invited here by the person giving birth, employed by them. Mm -hmm. And my job, my job is to actually back them up, not just watch while things happen. So that's kind of a little, you know, a little point I think that is worth exploring and I'm thinking about just this week on Facebook, I, I saw some doula comment, something like, I know we're supposed to be with the medical providers. And I was like, what? Hmm. And, you know, it really got me thinking. And it was like, I think what she was saying was, I know we're not supposed to interfere with the medical providers in any way. Maybe we're even supposed to go so far as to support the medical providers in like whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, And I thought, wow, that is like one of those little like tricky kind of areas right there that I would really like to suss out with that person Mm -hmm. Um, because, 
there's a lot of confusion, I think, in that idea that you're supposed to be, I guess, on the side of, I don't, I don't really think it's about sides, but that you're not supposed to interfere with, or you're supposed to somehow be supportive of. And what it sounds to me more like is that that's the doula who's stepping into a power dynamic and is buying right into the power dynamic Mm -hmm. and is going, oh, there's a hierarchy in the room and they're at the top and I'm at the bottom and that's my job. My role is to be at the bottom of the hierarchy. Right. And that, I think, is maybe a fine distinction, but a really important one. Because you're there also representing the most important person in the room, who is your client. Mm -hmm. So how can you be a nobody and yet be so, so important to the person who's, you know, who's doing all the work and is supposed to be the legal authority in the room and the most important, you know, entity there. That's such a good point. And, and so that, I think that's kind of one of the cruxes of the issue here, right? It's that hierarchical care versus collaborative patient-centered care. In what I really, really talk to my clients about and train my doulas in understanding is that the way that maternity care should be delivered is that the client is in the center, everyone else is around the client, the client is the one that makes the decisions, and everyone respects what their decisions are. And it should be a collaborative process, there should be a lot of communication and dialogue, there should be a lot of space for saying yes and no, and and understanding that as a consumer paying for a service, i.e. medical care, that we're on a level playing field here. And if you don't feel like you're being respected or heard or listened to or believed, then let's find somebody who actually respects you, listens to you, hears you, and believes you, right? And in that, if there's a level playing field, there is no hierarchy and there's no doula on the bottom and doctor on top and patient somewhere in the middle. We're all here in the space together collaborating for our client to have the outcome that they're hoping for and the birth that they've been preparing for. And yeah, I know things don't always work out the way that we plan them for, right? It's not about saying, well, I'm here, I'm your doula, you want to have this kind of birth, this is how it's going to work out. It's every single step of the way, you're being heard, you're being listened to, you're the sound, you know, we're sounding boards, you're in charge, you're in control of your birth. And so, yeah, doulas need to take themselves out of that, that hierarchical equation as well you're neither on the top or the bottom. We're all in the same space and we all have our own roles and we work as a team. And it's important stepping into the birth space as as an advocate and as a birth worker to remember that we are part of the team. We have our role. Our role is different from the obstetrician's role. Our role is different from the nurse's role, but they all provide a specific service to all work together for the same goals which is our client's goals. Yeah. I I remember like a couple of years ago, I posted something on Birth Monopoly's Facebook page about like, can you imagine if it looked like this? And it was like Mm. the physician pulling the doula aside and saying, listen, I can tell your client is super anxious. You know, what do you think we should do? Mm. How do you think we could help make her feel more safe? Or Mm. man, I am out of tricks. I'm not really sure. You know, this baby doesn't seem to be moving and she's getting pretty tired do you have any ideas? Like, how about that spinning babies, you know, stuff you do? Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts here? And that's what it would look like if, if we really respected the doula's role as, you know, as somebody coming in with this 
really valuable body of knowledge, but even more so that relationship with the, with the client or the patient that, that really nobody else on the team has at that point. So true. And I've been, to, I've been to hundreds of births that are like that. You know, I, I, I have been in that situation many, many times having been practicing for over 20 years, I've made some pretty strong relationships with providers and they trust me because they know that I'm here to do one thing and they're here to do the other thing. And we respect each other and we respect our clients. We respect our patients and we all work together. And those are the best births. You know, there are times where I walk into births and they're just like, oh, hey, Nikki's here, you know, and we just do our thing and we are talking, me and the doctor. Why can't we ask each other what we think is going on? If we're all in the same space, seeing the same thing, why can't we talk to each other about our perspectives? Well, what I think is interesting is the strongest advocate doulas I know seem to have the most collegial relationships with care providers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, where, where's the lie? Really? I mean, you're right. You're right. Uh, and that takes time. It takes a lot of time to get to that place. And you know, that the advocate doulas that have these relationships, they don't happen overnight, but they do happen through participation, collaboration, and confidence and owning your role and strength too. You don't get respect by being a doormat. like. Mm -mm. And also I think that one of the things that is important for doulas to understand is that if you step into the space already expecting that there's going to be a fight, then you're ready for that fight and you're actually putting off vibes that there should be a fight. Like if you step into a space saying, okay, well, this is my role and this is my client and I'm here for, to, to back up my client and to be there for them and to support them and to bear witness and create a safe container and all of those things emotionally, then that's what you're doing. And that's what providers see and they respond to that. So, yeah. And I, I'd be willing to bet that something else that doulas are doing that they probably don't get any credit for is their trauma awareness. Uh, and yes. that they're walking in understanding that providers are bringing a whole bunch of trauma into the room too. Yes. And you know, now that I'm, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm realizing that also those same advocate doulas who I said have such great relationships, they're also the ones who make it part of their job to hold space for the providers and all the trauma that the providers mm -hmm. are bringing into the room. And this isn't just to, in like a, you know, like a kiss up way to the providers, mm -hmm. but it's, it's in service of the client because, yeah. you know, collaboration benefits everybody. Oh, yeah. The client more, more than anyone. And I'm so happy you brought that up. One of the things that we also make very, very um, central in our doula training, trauma-informed care in and of itself is this term that you'll hear just thrown around all the time. Oh, we're trauma-informed, we're trauma-informed, but it's not being implemented in the correct way. And, there, um, and there's no and real so, definition for it. Like, so I, yeah, it's I like mean, when people say evidence-based, it's like, what do you actually mean by that? Right. And I, I use the SAMHSA definition, usually just about being a strengths-based framework that is responsive to and understanding of trauma and is on the side of the survivor and empowers the survivor. But then the other thing about being trauma-informed, if you're asking for a trauma-informed birth, every single person that you interact with needs to be trauma-informed from the person cleaning the floor to the person serving your food to the doctor to the nurse to the doula to the partner 
to social work, to everybody who's around on the floor, right? And trauma responsiveness is that understanding not only of what the client's experience is, but yes, what the experience of the provider is and how we can all be supportive of each other and work on common goals together is, is paramount. It's so important. And that's another thing about that education piece prenatally and that advocacy piece. When you're an advocate doula and you're working through, you know, planning for the birth with your client, and they're asking questions about, well, how will I be treated in my labor? And how will I, will I be listened to? Will I be respected? Will I be believed? Do you feel respected, believed, and trusted in your prenatals? Like, are you finding red flags in your prenatals that are, that are leading you to believe that that might not be the case? Let's talk about possibly changing providers or having a meeting with your provider and talking with them about your concerns early on so that we're all on the same page. And uh, it's, it's really helpful. It's really helpful to be open and honest and communicative with providers and also to have your doula present for those meetings so that everybody kind of already knows how this is working out and how this is going to play out. That's advocacy too. It's not just showing up to the birth and walking into the room and being like, okay, everybody wait, stop what you're doing. Let's, you know, work on this right now in this moment. It's, it's so much bigger than that. And being trauma responsive and trauma, trauma informed is a huge piece of that. Huge piece. Yeah. All right, Nikki, we got to take a break real quick. Okay. And then we'll come right back. Are you confident supporting your clients in their rights? a must course for birth workers and worth one and a half contact hours towards your continuing education is my Know Your Rights Legal and Human Rights in Childbirth course. Really understanding your client's rights and the context for those rights is a game changer. You can do this. Go to bit.ly slash birth dash rights. The link is also in the show notes. Podcast listeners get 10% off with the coupon code podcast. We're back with Nikki Tilsner of Cornerstone Doula Trainings. And Nikki, you were saying something over the break. What was that? Yeah, I, something I really wanted to talk about today is, is sustainability and burnout. Um, and I think it very much ties into this advocacy piece where average burnout time for a birth worker these days is around three years. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we when we train doulas, we want them to be equipped and ready to practice effectively, but also to practice in a way that is sustaining for them and sustainable for them um, so that they don't burn out because we, we need doulas. We need you to stay in this. We need you to have longevity in this work. And doulas will find that whether or not they view themselves as advocates and they view themselves as having this role in the work that they do, they'll, they'll end up having to do it at some point um, in the birth space. And being able to be you know, leave your training or leave, you know, whatever space it is that you prepare for getting into this work with tools and actually like a really solid working understanding of client rights and advocacy and what it really looks like in the real world and how to employ that and integrate it into your practice will give you a great, uh, I guess, just like a great start for, for being sustainable in the work and to prevent yourself from just like 
seeing things that you don't want to see, being traumatized by being, you know, present for traumatic births and taking on too much and not knowing what to do when situations come up that you don't have the tools to, to, to cope with or to even reconcile. Well, like, like being yeah. one of those doulas who, you know, I get emails from all the time who are like, I, you know, just attended my second birth and I had no idea it was going to be like this. Like right. they, no one ever told me that this was what it was going to be like. Yeah, that's you, you have to be prepared. You have to know what's out there. You have to know what the possibilities are, and you have to know what to do with that when you come up against it because you're entering a really, really um, not only sacred and beautiful and amazing space, but it's, like, really intense and wrought with possibilities. <laughs> and so it's, like, it's really important to be prepared and just to, to – be able to step into this role, like fully embody it, fully step into it and feel empowered to do that and to have the tools to be able to do it effectively and safely for yourself and for your clients. Well, it's like birth, you know, you know, you want to go in, you want to go in prepared and informed rather mm -hmm. than getting off on the wrong foot, you know, mm -hmm. and it taking a week before you find the right support or, you know, the right breastfeeding help or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. Like you want to go into it as prepared and informed as possible yes. um, instead of stumbling into something and then kind of having to backtrack and go, uh-oh, what did I not know? Right. You know, what were the tools I didn't have that I could have used? Mm -hmm. I, you know, people come to us a lot who have actually been in practice for a really long time and will kind of stumble across our website or see something that I posted on Instagram and be like, whoa, wait. You talk about that in your training program. You talk about burnout. You talk about trauma-informed care. You talk about advocacy, and I, I think I need to start over. You know, and I'm fielding calls and and kind of being in this mentorship position with a lot of people who have even been in this work for many, many years. And you know, it's always like, oh, I didn't know it could be this way. Like I didn't know that I could be this prepared. I didn't know that I actually could take on all of these different roles. And that it's, it feels so much more organic and I feel so much more prepared and calm and happy and, and effective in this work. Like, so, so going into this kind of sustainability piece, right? Like doula work kind of chooses you. Like I said, it's not the easiest job to have. It's long hours. It's, it's hard to be on call. You have to change your lifestyle. Sometimes you're taken from your family and your friends and your community um, and for not the greatest pay. But in order to thrive in the work and have sustainability, feeding your purpose is what really, really holds resilience and what is actually being trauma-informed for yourself and like looking at things through a strengths-based lens in, in the work that you're doing. And feeding your purpose is knowing that you're effective in the work and being able to really embody the work. And I think that that's what's going to keep people really, really going in this and feeling great about the work that they're doing and enjoying it rather than just kind of like getting into it, giving it your all, going full force, and then just burning out and crashing within three years because that, that happens all too often. So, yeah, it's, it's important stuff. Yeah. Well, and I like that you brought up the idea of being trauma-informed around yourself. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm not a doula, I work – with doulas that majority of my work is with doulas and I've done a lot of unofficial doulaing mm -hmm. um, on the phone of people, you know, doulaing them through the aftermath of a really traumatic birth. 
Right. And, you know, what do I do now and where do I go and, you know, who do I talk to? And, you know, so I discovered secondary trauma mm-hmm. then, you know, like by accident <laughs> and then, and then, you know, have been on this journey ever since then about the idea of secondary trauma or, or vicarious trauma mm-hmm. and have had to learn it because most of the people I'm dealing with are dealing with it. Mm-hmm. The birth workers, the doulas, the nurses, and the physicians, and the midwives. So I really love, you know, bringing in that idea of being trauma-informed for yourself. Absolutely. Because that is, there is no sustainability without that. Mm-mm. There really isn't. And I'm so shocked today when I talk to someone who has been doing this work for 20 or 30 years, and they haven't really figured out how to be trauma informed. You can tell they're not really practicing what they preach sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I will say, you know, I've talked to a couple of people who do it with full awareness and they're like, this is what I have to do because this is the situation. And that's mm-hmm. one thing, but it's really interesting to me to talk to other people who, you know, they're doing this in their role. You know, they're, they're providing trauma informed care and they're sort of counseling other people in their, in their self care and their health care. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really found a way to embody it themselves, which I think is really interesting. And I think it's true for like most birth workers. And I'm not excluding myself from that either. I don't mean to sound like I've had it all figured out and nobody else does. Um, right. It's definitely like an ongoing practice, but something that I don't think we can emphasize enough if it's going to be about sustainability. You know, I almost had to get out of this stuff because my health collapsed and I couldn't mm-hmm. take it anymore, not just mentally, but physically. And Absolutely. I think, you know, like, I think we know a lot of people who have had experiences like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and it can't be emphasized enough, right? Like n- number one, what you said, absolutely. It's the rule, not the exception that people who are walking with folks who are enduring trauma or re-traumatized or traumatized in front of us tend to not take very good care of ourselves. That's the first piece of burnout, right? I mean, I burnt out really hard about three years into my practice when I first started and had to take a break. Right on schedule. Right on schedule and came back, you know, with a a new way of looking at things. And I'm still learning every single day about what being trauma-informed for myself is. But it's important. You have to know what your triggers are. You have to understand your own history. And that's not just your own history. I mean, your ancestral history, like generational history, all of those things come into play when you think about trauma and the experience of trauma. And doulas and birth workers and anyone who's like in this space really needs to understand that your brain cannot discern whether this is happening to someone else or if it's happening to you when you're in the situation. And even when you hear traumatic stories, your brain goes into a trauma response. And this vicarious trauma is real. I mean, we, we require all of our doulas to read Trauma Stewardship by Lipsky. It's required reading. I mean, you have, you, you have to be aware of this. You have to have a, a self-care practice and a self-care routine. And it's not like, oh, go take a yoga class and take a bubble bath. It's like, I know yourself, (laughs) like nourish yourself every single day. And however that looks for you, have a practice for that. And it's not just a cleanup after a mess. It's like every single day. So it's something we need to focus on. Well, the, the counselor that I work with, she said, she said, Kristen, you'll know you're making progress when you stop calling me to be like, I need to talk to you right now. And instead (laughs) you're scheduling things, you know, a month ahead of time because you know, you need to maintain. 
And and so I remember there being like a little bit of a turning point where I was, I found myself more often than not contacting her to say, Hey, um, should we get, should we go ahead and get something scheduled for next week? You know, or whatever, instead of her being like, are you okay? I haven't heard from you in a while. Do you need to talk to me? And me going, Oh my God. Yes. I'm so glad you called me, (laughs) you know, or, um, are you busy tomorrow? Because I really need to talk to you right now, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it is about that, that practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Resilience. Mm -hmm. Well, and speaking of something that, that ties in with that PTSD Mm -hmm. and trauma, Mm -hmm. You know, I think this stuff has been going on for so long. People have been so traumatized in maternity care for so long that there has been some complacency in some sectors around it, people who are aware of it. And I know a lot of that is because it just seems like it's kind of hopeless. Like, you know, what can you do, especially if you're the least powerful person in the room? how can you be anything other than complacent if you don't feel like you have any power or any control or any ability to influence things? I guess what I'd like to introduce is more of a sense of urgency to Mm -hmm. some folks who are feeling more complacent, beaten down, hopeless, you know, whatever it is. And, And to the folks who, you know, intentionally take that sort of approach of, well, we need to pace ourselves. Well, this is a long fight. I, I agree that it is a long, a long fight for justice and respect in maternity care. But I think without a sense of urgency, we're never, ever going to get there. And I do see urgency from some people and some organizations and some groups and movements in repro- around reproductive justice. Mm-hmm. And I really am inspired by that. And I find it nourishing to use one of your words Mm. to see that sense of urgency and I've definitely had these conversations with people who have said well you know I'm say a black woman serving as a doula and I'm serving women who are much more likely to die Mm -hmm. um, in their in their care and so of course I have a sense of urgency I can't not have a sense of urgency like this is what we're dealing with so I guess I just wanted to bring up that idea that this all exists on a spectrum. You know, our, our horrible maternal mortality rates, that's the tip of the iceberg for the morbidity, for the PTSD, for the trauma, for the complications, the injuries. We should have a sense of urgency about all of it, all yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack with all that you just said, and I'm 100% with you on every single point. I want to I want to take it back for to the beginning of what you said about power and then I want to talk about urgency. So for power, I think that I I try to be very intentional in the words that I use when I'm talking with birth workers and when I'm talking with my clients as well about power and I use the term perceived power, right? Like who has the more perceived power in the room rather than who has less perceived power? Yeah. Um, because this like that- deferential is a is a part of like feeding that feeling powerless and then feeling powerless leads to complacency. And there's like a, an inferiority complex yes. that comes into play. Right. That is just self, you know, it feeds on itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then also just that sense of urgency that you brought up. It's true. Absolutely. 
this is a long fight. It's been going on. It's going to keep going on. But right now, what are, you, what are we doing? Like, how, how are we fighting? How are we working on fixing <laughs> these problems? And you brought up reproductive justice. And, and yes, absolutely, that the framework, the reproductive justice framework is incredibly important. And it's a really, really um, powerful movement that was created by, by black women in response mm -hmm. to the treatment of black women and birth and throughout the reproductive lifespan, right? There is a sense of urgency and, and it does depend on who you talk to and what their lenses are and how they're experiencing the world based on how urgent I think folks are thinking that this problem is and how much time we have to work on it. And right now, today, yesterday, years before now, and all the way in the future, every single day. Like this is a fight and this is a fight that I am fighting in for birth justice and reproductive justice. And this is something that people do know about us as Cornerstone. I mean, we're very open with it. It's not like hidden, oh, surprise, this is an activism training, you know, it's like we're out there with it. But it is, it is so urgent because it, people are dying and people are coming out traumatized. And like you said, the spectrum yeah. of morbidity or mortality, all of it needs to shift and change and we can do better and we have to do better. We have to because so, the majority of this is preventable. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, now that you've said that and I've had a minute to think, I think I actually want to restate what I said a little bit, which is what I want to say is let's become aware of how we are buying into the patriarchy. Right. And, yes. And different people buy into the patriarchy to different degrees. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to also, there's a lot of overlap there with white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to become super aware of how, you know, our privilege plays into this idea that we need to approach ac advocacy in a certain way. This like, don't make too many waves. Don't let anybody see that you have feelings about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's, I guess that's really what I'm more saying is as a white person speaking to a lot of other white people, mm -hmm. let's really look at that. And you know, we know that white women uphold the patriarchy more than any other group. Yep. And we need to really be thinking about that and really talking about that and look at our proximity to that and be honest with ourselves about, oh, sure. about all of it. For and sure. it's not easy to do, but it's, it's vital work and, you know, it's liberating too. It absolutely is. And I think it's long overdue. It's long overdue. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy you said that and we have to name it. White women do uphold the patriarchy and because we benefit from it. And I'm not going to say they because I myself am a white woman and I do benefit from it. And I am actively struggling against that every single day. You know, it's, it's, an, it's a lifelong practice of deconstructing that within myself and, and being honest and open and learning and learning from women of color and listening yeah. and up and, and, you know, um, stepping back a little bit, you know, stepping back a lot and, and that whose voices am I uplifting and whose voices am I centering? Absolutely. It's, it's something that I look at every single day and that sense of urgency, the more I do this work, the more I feel it. It's like, okay, 
this has to, this needs to, we need to be done with this. We need to be done with all of this trauma. We need to be done with all of this morbidity and mortality. It just has to end now. And really we need to all rise up and fight together for this. It can. As Dr. Monica McLemore is always hashtagging things, this will all be different. This could all be different. Yeah. Oh, I love Monica. She came in, um, sat on a panel in my doula training last time around and just so powerful. So, so powerful. I feel um, like I've learned from her, even though I've only met her one time so much, like she's impacted me so, so much. <laughs> she probably doesn't know it, mm. but yeah, just that like kind of radical honesty and mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yeah, I appreciate that that we're talking about this right now. I think it's really important. I think it's it's incredibly vital. I want I want this to be a part of every dialogue when it comes to birth and birth work. I mean, it's 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 a thread that needs to be running through every single thing that we are looking at, what we're working for, and how we're working and how we're practicing and showing up and embodying this role. And you know, once there's an understanding and an awareness of how all of these systems interact and how they all play a part in number one, how we view advocacy as birth workers. Number two, how we view ourselves as less powerful than other people in the room. Um, Number three, how we are silent and our silence is complicity to all of these, all of this maternal morbidity and mortality, right? Like all of these things, how they tie together the string and the thread that runs through continually and always is white supremacy, and oppression and on the other side when you're looking at it through the strengths-based and resilience-based lens liberation but all of our liberation is tied up within each other's and we all need to be working together this is really 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 important stuff but it's hopeful too it's Mm -hmm. i mean i and i feel like i've just discovered sort of a new sense of hope over the last couple of years that there are people doing doing things in a different way than maybe it's been done traditionally and there's a lot more information out there than there used to be just in like the, you know, available to the public, like trauma-informed yeah. care training. Uh, know your rights. Yep. You know, there's, there's a lot out there that is available now that, that wasn't before. So that doulas and advocates and birth professionals and birth workers can be walking in to these situations feeling confident, feeling happy, feeling calm, feeling hopeful mm-hmm. instead of that, you know, there's just that constant sense of, you know, kind of dread and oppression. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what's, what's going to happen to my client this time? What mm-hmm. am I going to witness this time? That's going to kill, you know, crush me. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. There is yeah. a lot of hope and, and, you know, <laughs> coming back to it, that's why we, that's why we train tools to be advocates and you advocate for yourself too. Like that's another piece about doing the training where you know your rights and like learning about what your rights are as a patient, your, your interaction with the medical system doesn't stop like begin and end when you walk into the birth space. It's everything in our lives. And we learn how to be advocates for ourselves and our communities and our children and our family members And in the ripple effect is far and wide. You know, and the ripple effect from from having less traumatic birth is far and wide. It's going to change our entire society when birthing people and their babies aren't coming out of this traumatized, separated, angry, and scared, right? 
it could all be different. And like you said, you know, definitely credit due to the person who developed that hashtag and uses it. That's from Monica McElmore, and it's true. Absolutely. Well, we're out of time. Oh, already? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts? I think that was a pretty good closing thought, but is there anything else you wanted to say? You know, I just, I actually just really want to thank you for your work. And I. Oh, thanks. You, I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you are so powerful and you are just doing, doing the work. You're doing the work and. I'm so grateful for um, Birth Monopoly and for you as a human and your your focus and your passion. And thank you for helping create change. Well, thanks, Nikki. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. I, that hit me in the feels a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. Thank you. I mean, you're training the people on the ground. You're like really, they're in there doing the dirty work. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the tough stuff. Yep. So I'm really happy to be supporting you all and collaborating with you all. And I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah, same, same, everything, all the same. You can go to cornerstonedoulatrainings.com to check out their upcoming trainings. The next one starts July 12th in Oakland, offering the first ever Rights Informed Birth Advocate Certification. And it's almost full. Registration closes July 1st. Hi, this is Kristen. I don't know if you've noticed, but there aren't a lot of shows like this one out there. And one big reason is it has never been my goal to get corporate or mainstream ad money. Nope. We are supported by folks who are part of the change. In fact, the show you're listening to now is made possible by Evidence-Based Birth your go-to source for high-quality, unbiased information on the latest evidence-based care practices for childbirth. We love evidence-based birth for its radical approach to changing maternity care, taking the evidence out of paywall journals and translating it right into the hands of parents, birth workers, and medical professionals so they can make change from the ground up. Like evidence-based birth, you can help Keep Birth Aloud Radio, an independent voice challenging a powerful status quo. Email us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com to find out how. Again, that's birthaloudradio at gmail.com.